in all its exhaustive detail, and don't worry, I'm not going to. But these chapters belong together. They're connected organically. It's difficult to separate the two from each other. And I uh, have to, and I'm thankful that Jack read all of those Scripture texts for us in our hearing. They're not ones that we would typically turn to for consolation. But they're significant texts that are intended to teach us truth, and uh, we need to hear the truth from them this morning. And as I said, I'm, I'm not going to get into the obvious sin in this text this morning, but that doesn't mean that I'm light on sin. Um, in fact, I think that I need to kind of keep the, the central details here together in these, this text this morning. In fact, I think uh, after Easter comes, I'm going to give a sermon directly to this sin of homosexuality because it is relevant to our culture and our day. It's always been relevant to our culture, but uh, maybe it seems so more at this point in our world. And also, I'd like to spend a time thinking about uh, the importance of biblical hospitality for the life of a true believer. And uh, that is a theme that comes out of this text that I, I'll touch a little bit here. But um, I want us to think carefully about the thread that holds these two chapters together. It's a thread that binds even to the last chapters that we've been working through and learning about this covenant relationship with, with Abraham. And there is this thread, and, and I know that there's a thread here, and uh, I want to how I got this together, I, I think is important for us to see, is that the time frame between the last appearance of God to Abraham is so short. I mean, last Sunday we noted it had been 13 years since God had spoken to Abraham. 13 years after he promised him that he would have a son, and it was a 13-year gap. Well, when you come to the end of chapter 17... Abraham is obedient to the task of circumcision. It's a hard task, especially at 99 years old. And, uh, and you turn to chapter 18, and the time frame here is so short. Uh, if you're in chapter 17, verse 21, please look back there. It says, Jesus, uh, the angel says, excuse me, God says, I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Turn over to chapter 18 and verse 10. In this verse, um, it says, And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. So, the time frame between the first appearance in chapter 17 and now is, is very slight. He says about. So, it's, it's a, it could be a few days. It could be weeks probably more on the weak side of things because Abraham has uh, demonstrated that he's been obedient to circumcision and he's uh, actually quick on his feet now. There's some time of healing that has taken place. And uh, this indication here that this is connected is that God appears to him again out of response to his obedience, his obedience of faith to follow through with this hard command that God had given him to do. And not only, God talks with Abraham here as a prophet, verses 16 to 33. He's, he's engaging him, telling him about the future that's going to take place. Something is 
drastic, and he's including Abraham in on what's happening, as God has done with the prophets and the other prophets in the Old Testament. And so I see that there is a connection here. Now, what is the purpose of this thread of connection? Abraham intercedes for Lot here, and it's, it's intending to teach us that God places a significance upon the obedience that our faith produces, the obedience that faith in Him produces. It's kind of the general theme here. Really important for us as believers to grasp the significance of obeying the one whom we believe. And out of that, producing a fruit that's consistent with who God is. So, thinking through this text with me, I appreciate um, all the Scripture that was read, but it has cramped my time completely. I'll try to be careful here. But in the obedience, there's obedience that faith produces here. Is it the circumcision? Abraham believed God that he would provide a son. He was commanded to circumcise himself. Was that the fruit that God intended, the obedience that he intended? Well, for Abraham, it was. But this outward external requirement that he was obligated to take part in started in the heart. There's no way that he was going to go about doing it unless he had the confidence of conviction within his heart that this is what he would do for God. So that obedience came out of faith in what God would do. There's no way, humanly speaking, that he would have done this otherwise. It had to have come from inside of the heart. And it was a demonstration that he believed God if he was going to obey something so difficult. I asked my daughter um, this morning just to see if she would remember what the chief, like what, what, it, what it means to glorify God. What does that mean? To, how do we glorify God? And she said back to me, by loving Him and doing what He commands. We've been teaching our children the catechism. And that's the truth. It's how we glorify God. We love Him and we demonstrate, we glorify Him by loving Him and doing what He commands. And I think that we as Christians sometimes struggle with, with, with the commands of Scripture. We get our heads stuck at times in thinking, well, how can I, you know, am I actually doing a work here and this somehow violating God's grace, His unconditional grace to me? Can I actually inadvertently create a work system of living for God? Well, I think we have to be very careful as we think through the connection of doing what God commands as being a demonstration of the love that's in our heart. They go hand in hand together. We have to be very careful. We look at the New Testament, we see all of these little commands in Scripture. Um, for example, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. He says, and it's on the wall there, it is better for you that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. We look at that, and we think, well, where's the grace in that? That's a warning. 
That sounds terrifying. And it could be terrifying. And there are lots of threats as we look through scriptures and we, we see commandments of God with, with expectations and conditions that are laid upon them. And if we're not careful, we may tend to shift our thinking and, and think of these things as being legalistic requirements that somehow we are no longer really required to, to follow. Sometimes we don't know how to, to fit the warnings of the Scriptures into categories of God's grace. And if we're careful, we, we can take the unconditional grace of God in which He walks between the cut meat and make, you know, all aspects of God's grace on the same level. Now, I want to be very careful in how I communicate this Sometimes we read a command of Scripture like James chapter 4, verse 6 that says that God gives grace to the humble. How is it that God can give grace as a condition upon humility? Doesn't that just like fly in the face of the conditional grace of, unconditional grace of God? Well, think of Romans 8.28, for example, which says, all things work together for good to them who are called according to His purpose. There's two conditions in that. There are two conditions. All things work together for good, one, to those who love God and to those who are called. How is it that God's goodness and grace can come to us with conditions? It doesn't make sense at times. And if we're not careful to think carefully about this connection, we can actually hinder growth in our Christian life. There are conditional blessings that are ours within the unconditional grace of God. It's a very difficult concept to, to understand. And I want us for time's sake to think, just thinking through here for a minute, the two lives that we saw in the Scripture reading. We saw Abraham on the one side, and then we saw Lot on the other. See, Lot was a believer in God. I think the Scriptures tell us that. But his lack of obedience drew him into a place of serious consequences. 1 Corinthians 3.15 talks about Lot as an, example, as an example that he escaped, if you will, as if through fire. You know, he just barely got out of it. He wasn't reaping the blessings. He was seeing curses take place in his life. And, and God, through Abraham, though, is demonstrating a person who is by faith believing and obeying, and he's receiving blessings. He's, there's conditional responsiveness that's seen in both of these men. And then there's effect that comes out of it. One is receiving the blessings and others is receiving the curses. And so, what is going on here in this text is that God is showing through Abraham how that by believing in God's grace, it will produce the fruit that God wants from us. And what is that fruit that God wants from us? God wants us to have the fruit of love. And that is true in the Old and the New Testaments. 
And faith in God's grace, believing that He is unconditionally loving us, produces a kind of love that radiates out of us. Now, again, I'm not going into all the details here. I'm trying to connect the dots between the chapters here for us. But in Genesis 15, Abraham, you look back at chapter 15, God comes and in that vision walks through the cut meat. This is that unconditional grace presentation that he's making and demonstrating to, to Abraham. He's unconditionally committing himself to Abraham. Well, you flip over to chapter 17. Abraham and his descendants are responding to this through the rite of circumcision. They're obeying the commands of God because they believe that God is unconditionally committed to them. And so I talked about this last week. I used that illustration about my daughter with the umbrella. And some of you came to me afterwards and said that was so helpful. And, you know, the, the umbrella being God's grace and my daughter coming up and grabbing hold of my leg, believing that I'm going to care for her. And so Anna, if you will, comes in underneath of the umbrella and she she's trying to avoid the rain. How am I going to know if she is just trying to avoid the rain because she doesn't want to get wet or because she actually loves me and is responding to my graciousness to her? Well, faith will show itself through love, through brotherly affection and behaviorally it will come out. So, Let's say I have Anna there underneath my leg, and I say, Seth, you come on in too. You come in next to Anna. I will know whether or not she is perceiving my affection and love depending on how she responds to her brother. If Anna starts biting and pushing Seth away from being underneath the umbrella... I'll know that she's really anxious and fearful that him entering into her space and territory is going to like, you know, make it so that she might actually get out under the rain and get wet. She's not secure in that relationship. She's not secure. And so, there is the demonstration of that faith comes out in love for others. This is what Christ was saying, or Paul was saying through the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, 6. He says, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision mean anything, but faith works through love. And that condition, that condition of grace is not perfect love, but it's real love. God knows our hearts. He sees what's happening. And in the life of Abraham, he, he, he sees what's happening. He sees love coming out for people who are potentially going to be destroyed. He's, he's content in his own grace, but he's not just to live content in his own grace. He wants mercy for those who might potentially be hurt. See, God sees the heart. He knows what's happening. I want to give you another analogy here this morning. Another analogy. 
to what's happening, for, to explain what's happening here in the text. Let's suppose that we all, it's not too hard to imagine, let's suppose that we we're all living in a village in a valley. It's kind of like Honesdale, a village in a valley. But let's say that our situation is such that electricity has to be generated up on the hill. But there's not a lot of power to be spread throughout the whole township. And so, the person who operates the generator has to look at the town and make decisions as to where this power is going to go. And so, what happens here, he gives us two conditions. He's got power, he's going to put it out into the community, but his two conditions are this. First, you have to plug your cord into the, you have to plug your light and your cord into the socket to get power. I'm going to supply the power up here on the hill, but you've got to put that power, you've got to take it and use it. You've got to plug in so that you can have light for your house at nighttime. That's the first condition. Second condition. If I see the light, I'm going to keep that power going to your house. If it connects you, if it connects and the power's flowing, I'll see light coming out. But if I don't see light coming, I'll assume that you're not home. I'll assume that there's nothing there, and I'll turn the power off for that house, and I'll go to another place. I'll move the power. That's just an analogy, and it's a picture, and I hope it's helpful. But think about it this way. By plugging into the power, it's trust. It's like trusting in the the grace of God and all of His promises for you. It connects you to God, who is all powerful, and that's a condition is taken care of through faith. You're you're believing and you're connecting into it. But there's another condition. If, If you don't plug into it, it's there, but if you don't plug into it, then you're not going to have light to get that power and then the light's not going to fill the house and it's not going to come out through the windows and the man up on the hill is going to say, well, there's no one there. And in the same way, that light that flows out is that love that, that, that demonstrates that there is a true faith in God. And see, if God does, it's the same way. If, if God knows what's going on in our heart, he, he looks into our heart and He sees, do you believe my grace? If you believe my grace, then love's going to come out of you. If He doesn't see the love coming out of you, then there's nothing there that's connecting you to grace. See, faith in God's grace is a necessary condition for God's love to shine out of you. This is what we're going to see. This is what we're seeing in Genesis 18 and 19. You're seeing the obedience of faith demonstrated in His love for others, even wicked Sodom. The obedience of faith in its lack is seen in contrast in both of these families. I mean, you 
you look at both of these chapters and they're in stark contrast to one another. I mean, you, you look at Abraham, you see these, these two angels, the three angels coming in, and one of them is the Lord, and there, there's, there's parallels here. There's, there's hospitality that's given on the one hand, and, and Lot receives the same two angels, and there's hospitality given. But Abraham rises to the top because he outdoes any kind of hospitality that, that Lot does. You know, that Abraham is speedy in the execution of this. He's, he's going out quickly. He's hurrying. He's running to serve his guests a lavish meal. And then he hurries. And on the other hand, you've got Lot who, who is rising to greet his guests, but he offers them bread without yeast. He offers them unleavened bread. And after Abraham's meal, the angels ask where Sarah is. The angels ask if he has any, you know, ask where Sarah is, and then the angels ask Lot's family, you know, where, are there any relatives around that you need to spare and save? And Sarah, you know, laughed at the prediction of a new birth. It was a little bit mild here in the whole flow of things, but if you think about it, Lot's sons just ridiculed him to scorn over the prediction that the angels were going to give. It was evidence of a whole life of lack of faith. You have uh, Sarah repents of her, little, her unbelief at the moment, and she's rebuked for it. But then Lot's sons, on the other hand, they don't, they don't repent at all. In fact, they suffer the ultimate consequence, and they perish in the city with the rest of them. Sarah is humbled by this promise of a son, and but then you think of Lot's wife, she's, she's turned into a pillar of salt. The, the opposites here are, the, are part of the message. You see, both women failing to believe the Word of God initially, but Sarah over time gradually begins to rejoice. And she will later name her son Isaac, which is meaning laughter, and it's the joy of faith at this point. So, Lot's wife, though, is a resident of Sodom, has been, you know, an arranged marriage from Sodom, and she's nameless, and she drags her feet as she flees the city, and she becomes a pillar of salt. Now, why all of these contrasts and differences? See, Abraham and Sarah are not perfect, but they're growing in their faith and their character and their obedience to God to do even the hard things, and it's demonstrating a difference. And there are examples of how God's faith in God's gracious gift produces the kind of love that He requires. Now, I want us to see practically what this means, even for believers today. We, we believe that Jesus Christ rose again the third day, just as He said, to give grace overflowing to all who believe. What kind of difference and impact ought that to make upon our lives? Well, the difference here is seen in Abraham's hospitality and your hospitality as well. It's also seen in your concern and care for those who need mercy. 
These are two things that come directly out of this text. Abraham shows an overwhelming hospitality to these strangers. Remember Hebrews 13, 1 through 2 says, let brotherly love continue and do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. This is referring back to this text. At the very first, Abraham didn't know who these guys were. And then all of a sudden it becomes apparent that they're angels. He didn't entertain them when they knew that they were angels. He entertained them while they were still strangers in his mind. I think that's important for us to see that Abraham is sitting and he's, he's in the shade of his tent. It says that they, they were standing near his tent and he runs up to them. And I think that's important for us to understand that Abraham is sitting in the shade in his own tent. He's not rooted in a city. He's a wanderer. He is a sojourner. Abraham is not inconvenienced by this interruption in the middle of the day when most normal people would have been, you know, siesta time. He, was, he would have been sleeping, but he, he, he gets up and he, he sees these people who are wandering in the heat of day and takes pity on them and says, come on in and take nourishment with me. And I can't help but under, you know, look at this text, and I know this is kind of like a, a sermon for another time, but those who are sojourners tend to help those who are also sojourners. Another way it might be of putting it, those who are wretches reach out to other wretches. Those who don't have permanent roots tend to take care of the rootless. Those who established tend to look down upon those who are new and different and unfamiliar. And that's sadly true of human nature. I know that um, Canada is known for its friendliness. Some of you know that. But you might be surprised at how unfriendly some of the communities are if you're from away. If you like, like get into the actual community and you try to make a life there, Prince Edward Island is, the, is a postcard picture place. I mean, you, you drive anywhere on that island, it's gorgeous, and Anna Green Gables is there. It's, it's just like, it is as beautiful as those movies from the 80s were. It hasn't changed. It's gorgeous. But let me tell you, <laughs> if, if, if you like, like try to move there and become integrated there, you will forever be looked at as someone who is from away. They don't let you get established and rooted. I uh, took, as you know, Adam with me to pick up Anna, and uh, I let Adam go with the hostess out into the marketplace, out of my view, and my, Abby was just like horrified. But I let her, him wander with her to the marketplace, and he's a white boy in a sea of black. I asked him, what was it like? <laughs> he said, everyone was looking at me. It's difficult when you're not 
established. And if you've always lived in the same place, it can be difficult at times to allow others to integrate. But this is what we're called to do as Christians. And we need to work hard at ensuring that there are no cliques and making people feel welcomed at every level. I mean, that's what Christians are supposed to be, is rootless people in exile waiting for the coming king. We're all, none of us are established. We're, we're all rootless. We all don't have a place. And this is what Christianity is all about. Hospitality is making sure that every new member of a congregation feel as though they have been there all of their lives. Because in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. We're all one. You see, the love of God is seen in that I'm not trying to push out Seth from underneath the umbrella. Bring him in too. Get in underneath of this grace that we all have in Christ. Love is also seen in our concern for the righteous treatment of other people. And I see this in Genesis 18, verse 19. I want you to look at that particular verse. It says, and I have chosen him, God is speaking here to Abraham, it says, for I have chosen him that he, that, they, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. God knows that Abraham is going to raise his children to have a concern for the righteousness and justice of the whole community. But what's going to happen here when he knows this? He's got to test it, though. He knows this. What's going to happen when, when God's going to tell him that he's got to go and destroy Sodom? How will he respond to this? Well, what is righteousness and justice referring to here? The righteousness and justice that God sees Abraham able to fulfill is the idea that Abraham is going to have a concern for the community, all community. He's going to have concern that the oppressed are not going to be oppressed. He's going to have a concern that those who are oppressing will be punished. That's what righteousness and justice imply. He's concerned. Now, how will Abraham react to this, this coming judgment upon Sodom? Abraham demonstrates this trait that he does, he cares, he intercedes for the people of Sodom. That's what's happening in verses 22 to 33. Abraham is acting in a compassionate and as a moral advocate. Notice what he says in verse 23. He says, are you going to sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Are you really going to let this happen? See, a man who has received mercy as Abraham has received mercy seeks to secure mercy for other people. See, Abraham has received grace. He's, he's received power from God. He's, he's plugged in. And the light is starting to shine forth, and so he desires light to be given to Sodom. 
He doesn't want just them to be wiped off the face of the earth, although that's what they deserve. What about those righteous that, that might be there? In verse 25, Abraham is pressing the argument with God, and he says, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put righteous to death with the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of the earth do that which is right? So, he doesn't want there to be an oppression take place. The righteous here is, the righteousness is coming out of Abraham. And so, he's, he's arguing for the sparing of Sodom based upon his concern for justice. God agrees with Abraham. And he says, no, I'm not going to destroy this community if there are righteous that are there. And I want us to just shorten this up to application for us as well. Abraham had the love of Jesus, if you will, to protect the wrongfully charged and the unjustly condemned. And why do I say the love of Jesus here? You remember when the Pharisees brought a woman to him and they claimed that she was caught in the act of adultery? They said to him, Moses told us to stone her to death. And what did Jesus say to them? He said, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Was Jesus excusing sin? No, not at all. He was actually overturning injustice. Adultery is, as long as I have understood it, a two-person sin. But there was only one person present. Where was the man? Was he also holding a stone? It's very likely that he was. She was deeply humiliated in her sin, and he told her to go and don't sin anymore. In other words, she had been forgiven. And now she was being reestablished by Jesus himself. You think about that, though. We are all like that woman, though, aren't we? And Jack had talked about this in the Scripture, and he said, you know, like we're, we're, we're all potentially guilty as the people in Sodom. Any one of our sins has the capacity to send us to hell. We're all like that. And we're in a community of believers, and if a brother or a sister sins and there's confession and there's repentance, it is the fruit of love to restore such a one, not to sit over against them in judgments. And those who have been shown mercy are to show mercy. Those who are plugged into the grace of God are to shine forth mercy. See, Lot was on the edge of hell. He was on the edge of hell itself, if you will. And he received mercy. He received mercy. He was clutching hold to everything else. He was a lousy example of faith, but there was something there small enough that he was able to show some hospitality to these two men. There was some signal of light there that was coming out of him, and he received mercy at the hand of God. Genesis 19, verse 16, it says, So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, and the Lord being merciful to him, 
They brought them out and set them outside the city. And the truth that comes from this is that no matter how close you walk with the Lord, it is of the Lord's mercy that you walk with Him at all. And the degree to which you believe in the mercy of God towards yourself will be the degree to which you show mercy to other people. That love will come out of you because of a faith in His grace. You will be obedient to His commands. And that will be the light that shines to the whole world. The world is so desperate for this kind of a faith a faith that really deeply understands the grace of God and and then will put it into practice by extension and sharing it with other people. And that's the kind of of life that I want. I want to be that kind of a believer. And I think that that's why I'm a Christian today. As the Lord knows my heart, I admit that when I first professed Christ as a little child, I think I probably wanted to go to heaven more than to hell. And I think that that was a part of it. And God was merciful in that to, to save me. But as I've grown in my walk with Christ, it's His kindness and His mercy are blessings that this world can never take from us. And see, there's a power that comes from being underneath the umbrella of God's grace that causes us to live for Him with other people. And so we can love in practical ways, just like Abraham loved practically. He he loved a stranger. He was fighting for the oppressed. So it's that connection that is the demonstration that we have got a good handle on grace. We have to thank God for His grace. We need to thank God that He gives His grace freely. We've got to thank Him for the love which He flows to us through simple faith in that grace. You see, God wants us to love. He, he, he wants us And He gave us an unlimited ability through the gift of the Holy Spirit to love and to demonstrate that love. But the catalyst, the the, the movement of that love from the gospel comes through faith. It comes through faith believing. And that gift of the Holy Spirit will come to us through faith alone. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank You for the grace of Jesus Christ. But Lord, that it would not be just a simple, superficial thanksgiving for that grace, Lord, but it would be empowering that we would be set free in our hearts to, to love unconditionally those around us that we would extend, extend mercy to, to other people. And Lord, that you would be causing us to love in this way.
Lord, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And may we not depend upon our own strength, but that we would depend upon him to supply what we need to do what you have told us to do. So we ask this in your precious name that we pray. Amen.